You're listening to the Render Queue from FXPhD.com, covering VFX, motion graphics, and more from all around the world. Hi, I'm John Montgomery, one of the co-founders of FXPhD, and thanks so much for taking the time to download this, the very first episode of the Render Queue podcast here at FXPhD. So what is this podcast? Well, the bottom line is we wanted to communicate better with all of you who are members, past members, as well as potential members of FXPHD. So it's a way to let us let you know what's going on at the site, new courses coming out or changes under the hood. But it's also an opportunity for us to kind of explore interesting things we find that are going on in the industry. You know, it might be a new software release, so a chat with a manufacturer, um, interesting new tech announcements like the... You know, the NVIDIA announcements from Seagraph earlier this year, which are going to have a big impact in our industry. Maybe it's a chat about work being done uh, by one of our FXPHD members, past or present. Or uh, a chat uh, with a prof about their course or stuff that they're doing, what they've got going on. Kind of wanted to recreate, in a way, what I was doing in the previous version of FXPHD for a couple terms, which was a little video update called This Week at FXPHD. Just a way to communicate with everyone what's going on and kind of you know, hopefully build a better community and keep all of you informed about what's going on behind the scenes because I think um, there's quite a bit of that uh, that's missing under the new uh, monthly subscription business model that we introduced several years ago. So this week we've got a tiny bit of site news, an interview with RodeoFX supervisor Thomas Holland, and a conversation with Andrew Lowell, who's uh, helping us build up our Houdini curriculum here at FXPHD. Uh, so with that being said, let's get started. Render item number one. So starting out, let's talk about a bit of site news in case you missed it over the last couple of weeks. We have a couple new courses out. We have part two of our Fusion Fundamentals series. I know many of you, we had a lot of you actually writing in asking when this is going to be out again. I think there's been an uptick, and I think, in the interest in Fusion since the development seems to have ramped up as well as you know the integration of it into Resolve. And you can just see the kind of development pace picking up. Also, to coincide with the release of Houdini 17 here in early October, we are starting our new series of Houdini courses, starting out with Houdini 120, which is a Houdini context taught by Geronimo Maggie. And we're going to be talking about that in a bit later in the podcast. We have an interview with Andrew Lowell coming up, as I mentioned, and we'll cover that then. But those are two new classes, and then also look for another course of Houdini, uh, the one being taught by Andrew, coming out in about a week or two time. One of the things that we've kind of missed about FXPHD since we switched over from the term-based model into our subscription model is the community that the forums provided. It was kind of a really kind of unique place, I guess, a gathering place. In addition to talking about the courses, just talking about things going on in the industry. And over the years, there were several businesses, <laughs> relationships, things like that formed that actually started in the forums at FXPHD. And we had a bit of conundrum uh, when we made the switch over how do we have this idea of having the profs monitoring the forums indefinitely, you know, going on forever? You know, look, I mean, that's a bit of an overstatement, but basically having the professors monitor the forums for an unlimited amount of time. And so we couldn't really solve that issue. And that coupled with the fact that while the forums were really popular and especially popular for a a number of our members, the reality was that well under 20% actually used the forums or visited the forums. So it was you know, not an insignificant part, but certainly not a majority of our users who are utilizing the forums. So we decided to actually just remove some of the complexity in explaining things and get rid of the forums. But I, I do miss that. And so I'd like to make another push. I tried this about a year ago. I'd like to make another push to kind of reinvigorate our Slack channel. 
you know, Slack is used all around the world today. We use it internally at FX Guide and FXPHE. It's really invaluable for communication. And so we created an FXPHE Slack channel that's available to you if you are a member of FXPHE in the past or a current member of FXPHE in our subscription model. And if you go to fxphd.com slash Slack, you can actually sign up or get an email to actually join our Slack channel. Now, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit for those of you who are part of it, it has not been very active, but I'd really like to kind of spend the next month kind of pushing that and see if we can make it active and kind of start to rebuild that community. You know, maybe add several dedicated channels. You know, we can actually talk about uh, things that you'd like to have interviewed or information that you'd like to hear in the podcast, things like that. So I'd really like to give that a chance moving forward. So go to fxphd.com slash Slack. Click on the email invite and you'll get sent an email and you can join our Slack channel. Render item number two. Up next is our interview with Andrew Lowell. And those of you who have been members at FXPHD in the past have probably taken one of his courses in Houdini and our post-term surveys that we used to do, getting feedback about the courses, he always got outstanding reviews from our members. And kind of restarting or rebooting our Houdini curriculum is something that we've been wanting to do since we relaunched with our new subscription model. And we thought that the Houdini 17 release was a great time to do so. So we got Andrew involved to help us develop a whole entire set of courses that are going to be coming out over the next 24 to 36 months from introductory to intermediate to advanced courses, kind of a sensible, well-thought-out curriculum to help you get the knowledge you need, and really to help us have the best online Houdini training possible here at FXPHD. And we're really, really excited about this, which will actually be the first of what we're going to do with other applications as well. But let's talk about Houdini since we've got the new course released today, and we've got another course coming out in about a week from Andrew. Uh, started the conversation with Andrew to get a bit about the history of his time in the field. Well, my background personally is I was a senior effects TD for years at four of the big studios. Uh, I also have always been a teacher, and I think that's really important because it's not just how well I personally know the subject matter. Uh, what I value in any any course is, is both um, conveying the important information and the fundamentals uh, as opposed to a bunch of little tricks, as well as really developing each student individually, and hopefully I can do that. So my background is also heavily in teaching and the education of Houdini and effects in specific. Um, other than that, I'm also an avid composer uh, of music, and I use Houdini for a lot of procedural musical techniques. Hmm. We should consider a course in that sometime. But um, let's, um, let's first talk about actually... Basically, um, the course, kind of the overall course curriculum that you designed, I mean, kind of philosophically, how did you get to the point and what did you use to kind of make your basis on what you think we should do here at FX PhD? Um, well, the basis of any, uh, the, I, let me start with the ancient, the ancient, if you will, basis of teaching Houdini and the fundamentals I've found. So the basis of this curriculum and uh, my first course in particular is the foundations that I got personally from learning from seniors at Rhythm and Hughes over 10 years ago. Um, back then, there weren't many uh, people using the software, and these techniques were very low level. 
So it's my mission to impart those low-level techniques that are very old, but they're still 100% valid just because of the nature of computer science and, and science in general uh, as a foundation. From there, uh, and there's also creative foundations as well that, that might not be um, painting or photography, but the effects foundations. And, and those are often missed in a lot of the little uh, gimmicky tutorials. So those two really solid foundations are what I've learned and what made me an effective TD on the job. And then using those techniques and conveying those techniques over in the ways I've found over years as an educator, um, then those will translate into the newest technologies. So using the, the backbone as the basis and then having that translate into the newest solvers and the newest fluid techniques and, the, and you know, all the, the the great advancements in the software that's that's really my objective and my and my um grounding if you will i think what was an interesting thing that you did as well was actually kind of just taking a look at several or numerous um kind of skill levels uh that an fx td requires um and kind of basing the curriculum around that can you talk about those yes. kind of skill levels a bit okay so um as is common in effects uh there's often three levels um and that's known throughout the industry there is a junior there's a mid-level artist and there's a senior artist and they all have very different skills and very different shot work that they do and very different needs uh that they need to learn like learning needs uh so uh when i'm basing my uh, uh, course uh, around uh, forming a solid foundation as juniors, then getting into shot work, uh, like any kind of shot work as a mid-level artist. And then as a senior artist, it's a lot more esoteric. And it's important to have a, this like eagle's eye view of the entire um, uh, technology front and apply the skills they already know into a lot of advanced features. So that's really the that's really the basis, I think. So normally we don't talk a whole lot about what we've got going at FXPHD until we release the courses and stuff, but I think it's kind of worthwhile in this case to talk about this because you know, we're, we're I, know, I hate the term rebooting, but we're rebooting the curriculum that we've done. And you've, of course, have done some courses first in the past, which is why, and to great um, response from our members, which is why um, you're helping us do this. But right now, um, we do already have some courses in development that are actively being uh, worked on. And that's starting out with the junior level courses. Why don't you walk us through uh, the two courses that we have in development right now uh, for the junior level uh, artist? Okay, so the, the two courses for the junior artists being done by uh, Geronimo, Maggie, and Deborah Isaac. And I've worked with them for years, and they're amazing instructors as well as uh, technical talents. So uh, there's uh, the Houdini is unique in the, in the fact that it has these contexts that work fairly independently. So uh, the first course is really a walkthrough that I've given, I've personally given to students many times, and it really forms the mindset of working with each context. And Geronimo is heading that up and giving a, a thorough introduction to every context uh, on a technical level and a practicality level. Uh, then Deborah's course, is, she's a very crafty um, artist driven Houdini TD and uh, the course is 
broken into, into two parts and it's, it's basically all about tool building. So it's forming the foundation of how to think in proceduralism and with Houdini. So it's context independent and it uh, hones in on the two main contexts that any TD is working with, which is the geometry context and the dynamics context. And she's really just forming a fundamental working methodology uh, in that course. So we've got two awesome foundational courses, a context introduction and a proceduralism methodology course. And one thing we've always tried to do to FXPHD is avoid what I like to call the, the button pushing type um, instruction and try and focus more on project-based stuff. Um, and that's somewhat true with these as well. It's not like these introductory level courses are going to start the menus and go from left to right working through each menu item at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always loved about Effects PhD, and uh, that's because it tends to be a very involved thought process. I've actually had given classes in Europe, and people have come up to me that I've never met and said, you know, you really taught me how to think with the Effects PhD course, and uh, that's really great to hear, and I suspect it's the same for all the instructors, and, and based on the, the depth that each of these courses go into. Now, not that these courses aren't fun, per se, or, or anything like that, but um, I tend to actually, maybe just a level artist, but I tend to enjoy the more intermediate and advanced courses. And, and you're actually working on one of those that's um, a little less introductory, but I think could be a lot of fun once you work through the course that you're actually starting out doing. Okay, so I've developed over years of teaching um, certain stylistic workflows that are essential uh, in finaling an effect, in uh, visualizing effect, um, pretty much uh, the mastery of inherent motion and curvature in any effect that's really why we need proceduralism in the first place and why we need these advanced tool sets in the first place. So my first course is still, it's creating a still lifes. Uh, in, in the subject matter I picked was wasps nests and bees nests because I think they're just fascinating forms and shapes. But there's so much motion inherent in, in even a static image, and that can translate into infinite variations. So the found the core like um, artistic basis of any senior level artist is still the basics of geometry, and that's what I'm capturing in my first course through the, the creation of these elaborate waspness. Yeah. And that's targeting more the intermediate level, correct, than obviously the yeah. junior level. Yeah, it'd be a transitionary phase. So it'd be um, somewhere in the middle of uh, like, okay, I want to really up my uh, artistic development and technical development and really learn how to think and flow in the software. And I think it would it'd greatly improve a mid-level's quickness and their technical ability. Okay, before we close out, um, we didn't talk about uh, discussing this as a part of the podcast, but I think one thing that's fun about FXBHD is kind of knowing a little bit more about the artists who are teaching and things like that. Can, can you just give us kind of a walkthrough in the procedural music stuff that you're, uh, there's a passion uh -huh. of yours? Sure. I've actually, uh, I've been working on it in, uh, intensely for quite a few years. Um, my career in Houdini actually started with, the, if you will, uh, with the release of a book over 10 years ago in uh, 250 pages of Houdini procedural sound synthesis and uh, MIDI triggering and all kinds of other things uh, that I learned in my personal music experience uh, as an audio engineer. And after that, I got into effects and I worked at the big studios, but I came back to that passion once I started teaching as my primary uh, jobs. 
And so I've been working very intently and I've, I've uh, put in all of the workflows I learned in the big studios into my own uh, R&D on the music front. And so I'm planning on releasing albums and things like that. Um, I'm very passionate about visual effects and teaching. And I'm also, uh, you know, that's my, that's my other side is the, the composition side. Of course, yeah. uh, there's a big piece of software that's kind of got its birthright in Houdini's, uh, which is Touch Designer, right? Which yeah. is also a very creative outlet for proceduralism. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it and uh, look forward to uh, the courses coming out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, everything that, you know, I'm doing with the courses that uh, uh, all the instructors that we bring on, uh, there's going to be really always a pretty high bar in effects PhD for bringing in professionals that are both really artistic and technically savvy and also really good teachers. And I'm really interested to see where it goes. I'm pretty excited about it. Render item number three. Last topic for our podcast this week is one of my favorite conferences now of the year, and that's the VIEW Conference, which is coming up in Turin, Italy from October 22nd to the 26th. And the thing I like about it is the really strong lineup of speakers they have. Uh, Marina Elena, who's really run the conference as a labor of love uh, over the last, oh, well over five years, I know that for sure, has really worked hard and really outdone herself this year with a fantastic lineup of speakers, running from people like Dennis Murin to ILM's Rob Bredo, John Gatta, who's the Senior Vice President of Creative Strategy at Magic Leap now. And then you've got people like Emmanuel Akosi, a storyboard artist at Leica, a Pixar DOP, Daniel Feinberg, who's going to be talking about the work on Coco, uh, as well as people like Thomas Sullen, who is the VFX supervisor for Rodeo FX's work on Game of Thrones. And one of the cool things about the conference, I think, is that it's there's kind of one main track of speeches or talks that go on throughout the event. Uh, the event's being held also this year at a new venue with a lot more space and more modern facilities, so it should be even better than the past. Uh, there are some master classes and other talks uh, that go along along the side, but the main thing are these, the main you know speakers hall, if you would, where about every hour, almost every hour, uh, we rotate uh, speakers through. Now, I don't know if you're like me, you go to a conference like FMX or Seagraph and you know, there's an abundance of riches, so to speak. Uh, you always decide, kind of figure out, should I go to this conference or this talk or this uh, special session? What should I do? And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's my state of mind or whatever, but I always seem to pick the wrong friggin' one or not really the wrong one. It's a good talk, but I read the tweets from the other talk that's going on at the main time. I'm like, man, I, I really wish I was there. And what's cool about uh, the talks of you, because they have such a really high caliber lineup and so many strong speakers talking there. You can just kind of hang out in this room and uh, it's, it's really, really fantastic to just sit and listen to talks. It's really creatively inspiring. And the other cool thing about it is, is that, you know, you can go to talks or you end up going to talks you might not otherwise go to. I went to Mark Hames talk a couple years ago about uh, being a writer at Leica. Um, some talks about um, kind of game production or, um, virtual production stuff that I hadn't seen before. And, it, and it's really a great way to expand your knowledge. So you get this really nice um, group of talks from these really top-notch VFX supervisors who've been in the business for years to people um, 
awesome artists giving talks about the work that they do on all these great shows, as well as this stuff that you might not otherwise be exposed to. And uh, for this last section, we just had a really quick talk with Thomas Holland, who is the head of the Berlin office of Rodeo Effects. And uh, just to get a bit of insight into what he's going to be talking about at the event, uh, he's, uh, um, his core interest or core specialization was uh, effects work, and he actually used Houdini, which is, I guess, appropriate for this podcast with all the Houdini that we've talked about. Um, but I got a little bit of, uh, of information about his talk, but start out by finding out how he got to where he was now, which is, again, um, head of the Berlin office for Rodeo Effects. It all started, well, almost 10 years ago. Um, I got, uh, you know, as uh, many other people, one day I, uh, I got myself a Mac and then I got Photoshop. And then this is, uh, I think that's the day that I got hooked. And then moving on, I uh, started to look into how do you make Photoshop move? And then I ended up with uh, After Effects. And after that, it was like, how do you turn around in After Effects? And then suddenly ended up into Max, um, doing a bit of more like freelance work uh, in Max. And then after that, I moved to Canada, uh, where I joined the NAD Center, um, where I learned mostly self-image. And then after that, I moved, I got my first job at Moco Studio, um, working on uh, some discovery shows uh, about dinosaurs. Uh, and this was the time that Montreal was not yet uh, the big VFX hub that was uh, about like three VFX company at the time. Um, and then after that, the, the company landed a pretty big show uh, called Riddick. And in there, um, I helped out building the entire water pipeline using Nyad and Alpha at the time. And this is, uh, yeah, how it all got started. After that, I went back to France, working, doing some, some freelance work. I ended up working into that uh, small uh, short film with the giraffe jumping into water. Um, so this was also done uh, with Nyad. Um, and after that, I was lucky enough to join uh, ILM in Vancouver, uh, working on Pacific Rim. So at the time that they also just started over there. Then I moved back again to Europe, uh, worked a little bit for uh, Real Flow, a bit for Houdini also. Uh, and then after that, I moved to a small company here in, in Munich. Uh, we were doing most likely uh, car commercial. Uh, and also that was the early day of uh, VR and uh, car visualization in real time. So I stayed there for two years. I was basically handling the entire 3D uh, departments. And after that, I moved back to Canada and uh, I joined the folks at Rodeo FX. Um, started over there um, on a few projects such as Tarzan, where we, uh, again, rebuild the water pipeline. Um, then I moved into CG supervision on the first show was Deadpool. And then after that, on uh, FX supervision on Game of Thrones. Um, and then after that, Europe was, uh, was calling again. And uh, after, you know, a lot of discussion with uh, the owner, Sebastian Moreau, um, we decided on like starting a small pod here in Europe. Um, and then we decided to go for Munich for, for many reasons. Um, and here we are. Uh, we just uh, celebrated our first year last week. How is that transition going from an artist to more of a helping manage and set up a company? It's uh, quite a bit different. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a big difference. Uh, but I always love to do that. I was, I was lucky enough, you know, when, uh, like a few years back when I, when I was handling the, the 3d department and that small company here in Munich, I got a, I got a taste of it. It's yeah, it, it's really different. Uh, but on the other hand, it's giving you a, a sense of, uh, I would not say ownership, but it's like, you're just so much more passionate about everything. 
and it's also making you look at the really big picture. You know, it's like when you're an artist, you might gonna see stuff and not really understand why this decision has been made that way. Uh, and suddenly when you are the one basically doing it, um, you realize a lot of stuff. Yes, exactly. It's so true. Um, I think again, as most people go through the career, you experience that at some point. Um, times I'd certainly miss being on the box full time, but definitely find the other manager side of things and leading the direction uh, very rewarding as well. Um, so let's 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 talk about kind of your 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 focus. If I you know, maybe not focus is not the right word, but a strength of your skills and that's um, effects and effect simulations. Um, what? How do you see the market right now? I mean, I think it's really interesting right now, especially as we get more and more powerful uh, parallel processing GPUs um, and things like that. It seems to have really opened up um, a new world, <laughs> literally and figuratively, I guess, in um, effect sims in the last um, you know five years, I guess. Yeah, it's. I mean, right now it's especially with OpenCL and graphic card, we are we are able to like prototype faster. Um, but we are still at this tipping point because we don't we don't have enough you know memory on the GPU to run full production sims purely on the GPU. Um, so definitely in a few years, especially with the latest release of the uh, RTX card, and especially the Quadro with 48 gigs, yeah. and you can use the NV Link to merge them, and suddenly you have access to 92 gigs. Uh, and then now we, we are we are really talking uh, of moving into full uh, GPU. Um, now, I mean, the, the, the type of simulation we are doing right now, it's nothing we could have ever imagined doing so uh, five, six, seven years ago. Um, I'm having right now uh, two juniors. It's really their first job. And then they found it normal to run 10 million plus part <laughs> of simulation. And for water and I'm like, you know, guys, when we were able to run a hundred thousand particle simulation, it was like, wow. So we're definitely able to get like scales that we would have never uh, thought possible before and on relatively small hardware compared to what we would have need before. Yeah. And I was speaking to that technology that was announced at Seagraph related to the RTX card when I was kind of talking about the changes, especially that I think many people have been waiting for for years because of that limit of memory on the cards. I think there was some things that were kind of missed in that announcement because they showed the kind of sexy real-time ray tracing um, and people kind of picking apart things that were there and things that weren't. But for me, what was really interesting is, yeah, that ability, as you mentioned, to chain together those two cards and get... Um, get an amount of um, memory that is actually suitable for full production rendering and sims. Yeah, I think this is this is where it goes right now, and it's yeah, it's like it's crazy. Like even even with normal cards, I mean, right now you know we run some some Titan uh, and some some Quadro. We can do like almost real time, you know, smoke and fire sim uh, using Houdini OpenCL. Um, and then also for flip simulation, it's like the the algorithm have been becoming good enough that the difference between a mid-res sim and a high-res sim are not so different anymore. Mm -hmm. That was not the case um, years ago. So you would sim in mid-res and then you would launch your high-res sim and then you would have something completely different. Um, where right now we are able to prototype also way faster. Look at the landscape of software that's out there doing sims. Um, obviously there's just continual research 
going into simulations and improving them. You see that at Seagraph every year from the various papers and talks that are there. Um, what, what do you see out there as far as software? I mean, obviously Houdini. Um, but if you could just kind of go through maybe a couple of the main packages out there that you see as their real strengths um, and maybe weaknesses in, in each of the software. And I think you, you generally, I mean, most people gravitate in large part to Houdini for a lot of the work now. Yeah, I mean, Houdini is, uh, you know, it's like uh, there is Houdini and then after that there is a other smaller one. Um, Houdini is the only one uh, that has like strong uh, solver and everything around to interact with the solver. It could be before the sim or after uh, the sim. And in that regard, it's the only package able to do so. Um, there is definitely Maya and Bifrost. Um, they're, they're slowly getting stronger. Um, but ultimately, Rhino, that's pretty much it. And what do you see with a package such as, uh, say, RealFlow, though, um, and its capabilities? Well, I think RealFlow is a, was a powerful uh, package. I think now it's more targeted to, for really like smaller scale uh, fluid, um, targeted into uh, commercial. I'm seeing it being embedded into Cinema 4D. Um, and I think this is really like the good markets where they should go. Um, but now I'm, I mean, I might be a little bit biased because we're only working on really large scale Sims. Um, but for us, Udini is ultimately the only one able to handle the complexity and the, the, the data sets we are, we are fitting into it. Now for the larger scale Sims, what is there, what are the scale of them, um, compared to you've worked in a wide variety of, uh, types from commercials to the, you mentioned the car and VR uh, things mm. to feature films. Um, where, where does the, the simulation work that's, say, for series like Game of Thrones kind of fit into that? Is it truly a middle space between commercials and film, or is it really getting closer and closer to that film scale of simulation you'd expect for features? Well, I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it, is, it is almost uh, feature uh, scale. Um, I mean, like last season, we, we destroyed a 300-meter-high wall uh, falling into the water, um, and funny thing, I haven't worked on a movie where I, uh, did such big sim. Um, I think, I think especially like TV shows such as Game of Thrones, um, I, I think the line between TV show and, and, and feature film is really blurry at that stage. It is. And what about timetables though, as far as production timetables, are you seeing, um, an, an increase in time to match or, um, are you just, um, still having to meet a very tight delivery schedules for, um, episodic television? Well, the, the beauty of Game of Thrones is that we're able to, to start a bit early on uh, with pre-production, so that helped us a lot to kind of like nail the big challenges. Um, and then after that, I, I think ultimately, yes, the, the, the deadline are a bit shorter than what you might expect on feature film. Uh, but on the other hand, big TV shows such as Game of Thrones are like slowly getting at the same level as feature, where also on feature we are starting uh, the timetable like shrinking. Yeah, and I'm, I see also the, the just the vast expanse of content and the money that's being spent, um, not just across TV shows, but also um, things like Netflix and Amazon Prime. I mean, I, I think there's a real sweet spot in that kind of episodic level, um, yet extremely high-quality effects work that's um, really been quite impressive and creatively interesting and obviously good for the VFX business in general. Um, would you agree? Uh, totally. 
Um, well, let's go ahead. Let's let's cross into since we talked about Game of Thrones. Talk uh, about the conference, the View Conference that's taking place in uh, Turin, Italy, um, later in October, the twenty second through the twenty sixth. And you're one of the speakers who's going to be there. Um, I'd love to get a little bit of uh, insight into what you'll be talking about and what people might be able to see or hear that they might not have heard somewhere else. Yeah, so basically we're gonna we're gonna break down uh, the two big sequence uh, we've been working on on season seven. Um, the first one is uh, the sea battle, uh, where we had hundreds of ships fighting against each other uh, at night uh, in an open sea. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about how we prepare for um, such task. How do you handle that amount of shots? Um, and then we also going to talk a little bit about Kitana because it was like the first show where we move to our new pipeline, uh, which rely now on Kitana. So it was a really interesting challenge on how we jump from a Maya house to a Kitana house, uh, and, and how we were able to, to scale. Uh, and then the, the second part of the talk is going to be about how we destroy, uh, the big wall. So it's, uh, it's not so trivial, uh, especially <laughs> Uh, because on, on Game of Thrones, they, they really work with like a, a, a fixed previs, uh, and then that previs is, is, is locked. And then this is based on that, that they're going to film everything. So, uh, the, the motion captured, uh, flamethrower, uh, so everything needs to behave like the previs. So we needed to art direct our destruction based on the previs, uh, to add a little bit more, uh, complexity to that. So, uh, those are the, the two things we're going to talk about how we, we prepared, for such task, what type of R&D we've been doing, and how we brought the shot from literally nothing to a final comp. And I think that's one of the great things too about VIEW and, and other talks. I love presentations that instead of saying going through and trying to cover every shot that you did or, or many, many shots or give a cursory overview, I think it's really smart to actually dive deeper into the detail and fewer things. Um, than it is uh, being more superficial on many things. That's just something that I really respect for uh, talks at the conference like you're doing. Yeah, we're gonna really like, we are really gonna go into the, the detail of like key part, but also having the whole overview on how you handle those sequences and, and also the, the relationship you have with the client and what they're expecting to see and, and the whole collaboration process. Well, I mean, I, re I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us for this brief talk. Um, we were talking beforehand that maybe we'd try and do some more detailed um, discussion um, if time allows in Turin once we check out the presentation in person. But um, uh, I look forward to meeting you in Italy uh, later this month. And uh, thanks for chatting with us. Thank you, John. Thank you for your time. Well, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you so much for taking the time to download and listen to our podcast. For all of us here at FX PhD, I'm John Montgomery. You stay classy, VFX world. You've been listening to the Render Queue from FXPhD.com. Follow us on Twitter at FXPhD and at John Mont FX. Or drop us a line by clicking the contact link at the top of the FXPHD website.